You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. When Pastor Mike, Dan, and myself planned out this sermon series, Walking Through the Book of Isaiah, um, we just kind of picked some passages and threw them down on some dates and filled up a calendar. But I'm not sure if you guys have ever noticed this or not, but God has this amazing timing where he kind of gives you the passage or the scripture that you need to hear most that week. And it's happened time and time again. Uh, the, the, the longer that I preach, the longer that I teach God's word, I've noticed more and more times God says, listen, I'm going to bring the circumstances of your life and I'm going to match that with a certain portion of scripture for that day. And I really believe that this, that this has happened again this morning. So again, uh, what, what, what we're going to cover today, I'm not thinking of you in mind. If you're like, ah, oh, he did that for me, no, it's not how it works. About three months ago when we walked through the book of Isaiah, that's when God began to work and God knew what we needed to hear, especially for this Sunday. So I, I would encourage you to open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. If you don't have a Bible with us, I would encourage you to take that, bu- that black pew Bible there right in front of you, turn it to page 575. Uh, we just, it's actually in our name, Grace Bible Church. We believe that the Bible is important. And so we, we would love for you to be able to follow along with us as we open up God's word together today. But as we walk through the book of Isaiah, especially portions like this and more portions to come, um, there's something that you and I need to understand, especially when it comes to prophecy. See, when God wrote Isaiah 11 and other portions of Isaiah and other portions that look forward to certain things, God didn't write those things so that you and I today could, could open up God's word and, and, try to, and try to fix dates or do this or do that and try to, try to imagine what God is doing here. God wrote it to specific people. In, at, a, at a specific time, in a specific area, that we're going through specific problems. And the more that we understand what's going on in the original context that it was written, the, the more we're able to grasp and understand the hope that is found there. So I want you to understand that Isaiah 11, yes, is written for you and I today, but Isaiah 11 had a meaning and a message for God's people struggling under a terrible leader. So let me give you just a little bit of context of what's going on behind Isaiah chapter 11 this morning. So church, at least 20 years have passed since King Uzziah died. Remember um, Isaiah chapter 6, he says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. King Uzziah was an amazing leader, led the people of, of Judah for over 50 years. Um, was an amazing military commander, brought peace and security and prosperity to the people of God. And they, they flourished under his leadership. Twenty years have passed since King Uzziah died. And after King Uzziah ruled and reigned, his son Jotham came into power. And Jotham actually wasn't a bad king. He was a distracted king, but he wasn't a bad one. And while Jotham was still fighting, Isaiah, fighting Israel's and Judah's enemies, um, he allowed the worship of false gods to begin to cultivate within the hearts of his own people. 
And then after Jotham died, King Ahaz came into power. And everything that we know about King Ahaz, 2 Chronicles chapter 28, 2 Kings chapter 16, tells us that nothing that Ahaz did was right in the eyes of, of the Lord. Ahaz set up altars and idols all throughout the land of Judah to worship other gods. Ahaz sacrificed his own son as a burnt offering to Baal. Instead of trusting God's protection over his people with Assyria coming, coming from the east, moving closer and closer to the land of Judah, instead of trusting God for their protection, King Ahaz actually, uh, actually made an alliance with the Assyrians to protect them. And in doing so, he, he took all of the treasures from the temple of God and he gave them to, to the king. He replaced the altar of God, where, where God's people would come and worship the one true God and replace that with the, with the altar of the gods of Assyria, defiling the temple. Church, and Isaiah and the, other, and the other people of God who still followed and worshiped after the one true God sat and watched as in two generations everything crumbled around them, everything that King Uzziah had built up. In two generations... The people of God went from following God to sacrificing to Baal. In two generations, they went from rebuilding worship to defiling the temple. And in two generations, they went from trusting in God to relying on pagan nations for their own protection. Isaiah sat discouraged, disheartened, and disappointed by just how far God's people had fallen. And friends, you're here today, we are no strangers to disappointment in our lives, are we? Whether it's our leaders, whether it's relationships that have broken down, whether it's our health, whether it's just the direction of our society or our country as a whole, all of us have this nagging feeling that this isn't how it was supposed to be. And every, in the essence of every disappointment, is this idea that we have some expectation that hasn't been met. Church, I want to dig in a little bit more to that idea of disappointment today. And God's going to give us hope from his word that we're not facing those disappointments alone. Friends, the, the late Pastor Charles Spurgeon used to encourage his people often that whenever they faced disappointments, that they were to view them differently by simply changing one letter and chopping that word into, into two. And Charles Spurgeon encourages people, they said, hey, take that word disappointments and turn them into his appointments. That whatever disappointments you and I face in our lives are actually a divine appointment set up by God to draw us closer to himself. That every single disappointment is an invitation by God to show us where our hopes actually lie and take all, all of the hurt that has gone along with failed expectations, but he welcomes us back to himself and saying, listen, I'm doing something. I'm working. These things that, the, the ways that you are disappointed, you're disappointed because these things were never meant to meet and satisfy your deepest need in your life. Only I can do that. And God took Isaiah's disappointments about the failed leadership of the people of Judah 
And in Isaiah chapter 11, he is going to show Isaiah and God's people, and he's going to show us today that even though we may be disappointed in our leadership right now, even though we may be disappointed at the results of what happened on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or in some cases next week, that God is still working and that there is hope still to be found there. So church, in Isaiah chapter 11, God points us to a new leader, one who is qualified to, to have the position a leader who is going to rule with righteousness and justice, a leader that is going to renew and restore creation, and a leader that is going to regather the people of Israel. And so church today, friends, my encouragement to you, yes, we're disappointed. You may be disappointed. There may be other things that you are holding on to this morning. Today, we're going to find hope in the person and work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So before we dig into Isaiah chapter 11, let me just pray over our time in God's word today. Heavenly Father, God, it is easy, Lord, to look out at our nation, look out, God, at our leadership, look out at our country, Father, and be disappointed. God, we have this nagging feeling, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And part of us, God, we cry out knowing, Lord, that you could change all of this. That in a moment's notice, everything could be different. So, God, we, we come to the source. And in Isaiah chapter 11, we come to your plan, God, to, to make all things right again. So, Father, as we walk through what this leader is supposed to, to look like, God, may we not only rejoice in your goodness, rejoice, God, in your wisdom in setting up someone like this, but God, may our hearts be turned to the fact, God, that we can cultivate, that we should be cultivating these things in our own lives as well. So God, I just pray that your spirit would work, God, where I fail to communicate, that God, that, that your spirit would convict God, when I fail, Lord, to, to bring attention to things and that your spirit say would give hope to a people, God, who desperately need to hear from you. God, I pray, Lord, that you bless our time in your word and ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, church, Isaiah chapter 11. God is going to give Isaiah... Four characteristics, and he's going to point us to a leader that we've all been looking for today. And we're going to see two things, two, two characteristics of who this leader is going to be, and then two characteristics of what this leader is going to do. So we're going to cover 11 verses in our time today. You guys ready? Yeah? All right. Let's do this. Isaiah chapter 11, the first thing that we are going to see is that this leader is going to have the right credentials. Isaiah chapter 1, beginning, Isaiah chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, he says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of, of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. 
The first thing that God tells Isaiah is that, hey, he's going to have the right credentials. How many of us have ever looked at one of our leaders and said, how did you get here? You ever said that? Like, how did you get this job? How did you get this position? We've all thought that way before, all of us. And there is a part, probably one of my favorite personal development, career development phrases is this, fake it till you make it. Pastor Mike is, Pastor Mike's the one that actually taught me that. <laughs> now that he exemplifies that, but I remember the first time he's like, Dave, you should lead music. I was like, what are you talking about, man? I can't, no, no. He's like, just fake it till you make it, man. And I've been faking it for the last four or five years. That's just what I do. So a lot of us, we've all been there. We've all questioned, how did you get this job? Well, Isaiah 11, there are no questions about why this leader is going to be in the position that he's going to be in. Isaiah 11 begins by saying, listen, he's going to come from the royal line. The first thing we see here is that this leader will come from the royal line of David. When he says, the stump of Jesse. Who's, who's Jesse? David's father, David's dad. Go back to, again, the story of when David was anointed. He went to the, Samuel went to the house of, of David, house of Jesse, and he anointed David to be king. And he says, this person is going to come from the royal line of David. And as Isaiah got this message, he's looking around saying, God, I'm not sure how, long, how much longer the, the line of David is even going to hold on to, to the throne. You don't understand the Assyrians are right outside of our door. And after the Assyrians, someone else is going to come, the Babylonians and, and, other, and other nations. And, and by the time the other people of God read, read Isaiah, there, were, there was a time where there was 600 years before the coming of Jesus where no one sat on the throne. But God is saying here, listen, the leader that is to come is going to come from the royal line of David. This speaks of his promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, where God makes a covenant, an everlasting promise, not based upon David's work, but based upon the word of God, where he says, I will, I will establish your kingdom forever, and someone will sit upon the throne of David for all of eternity. And God is saying, Isaiah, out of the stump of Jesse, even though right now it may not look like David's line is going to hold the throne for much longer. I'm going to do a work. And as Isaiah has already said before, out of the stump, hope will come. This person will come from the royal line of David. Not only that, but he's going to be controlled by the Spirit. In verses 2 and 3, it talks about a leader that would come from the line of David. And not, that's not good enough, but also that he's going to be controlled by the Spirit of God says the Spirit of God would rest upon him, giving him all that he needed to fulfill the work of, of the king. It says he would have wisdom and understanding to lead nations. He would have counsel and might to command a victorious army and knowledge and fear to live a life of holiness before the Lord. It says this leader isn't going to be controlled by his own motivations, by his own desires for power, fame, or money. This leader is going to be controlled by the very spirit of God himself. Now, I, I want you guys to do something as, as we walk through this. Now, it's easy to think ahead to someone. I don't want you to do that yet. 
I want you to sit here, and I want you to just imagine what it would be like for Isaiah to hear this message for the very first time. Someone's going to come from the royal line of David. Someone's going to be controlled by the Spirit of God to, to lead in such an amazing way, to have wisdom and, and insights. But God, God, again, moves on and continues to describe who, who this leader is going to be. Not only will he have the right credentials, but he will have righteous character. Verses 3 through 5 God continues and says, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with, the right, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So there's three things that we see here. First is that he's going to be discerning, that this leader is going to be discerning. Now listen, leadership and discernment normally don't go together, do they? At least not a lot of them. Leadership and righteousness typically don't go together either, right? We can all name scandals. We can all name broken promises, non-disclosure agreements attached to our political leaders, but this one's going to be different. There'll be no more Twitter accounts, hopefully. There'll be no more spies. There'll be no more scandals. There'll be no more none of that. This leader is going to be different. One, he's going to lead with discernment. He says he is going to judge not by what he sees or what he hears, but he's going to judge with wisdom. He's going to see to the very heart of the matter here. And if we're honest, most of our decisions, we base things on our appearances, right? Think of your most stupidest choice in life. The most foolish things you've ever done. Let that sink in for a second. Almost always, it was because we, you went on the appearances. It looked good. They looked good. He looked good. She looked good. Everything seemed fine, and you didn't have the wisdom to penetrate down to the reality and see what was really going on there. My first car, 1998 Pontiac Grand Prix GTP supercharged, the whole nine yards. It was awesome. Great paint, great paint job, great leather, leather seats. Within six months, my transmission blew twice. I love that car. It looked, everything looked really great. I had a mechanic go in, like, I don't know nothing about cars. Like, that thing goes fast. It should be great. Wrong. How often do we make decisions based upon appearances? But this leader will be different. He will be discerning. He'll be able to see down to the very, to the very bottom of the issue and make wise choices. But not only will he be discerning, he's going to stand up for the poor. We see that he will treat the poor with righteousness and equity. See, it's one thing to treat someone fairly when they have money and power to get you back if you don't treat them fairly. It's another thing altogether to treat someone with honor, equality, and justice when they can give you nothing in return. Church, this leader is going to stand up for the poor. This leader is going to be a voice to the, to, to the voiceless. 
This leader is going to stand up for those who have been hurt by, by society, who have suffered injustices, and he is going to do it without personal gain to themselves. How often do we hear of, of groups or leaders who stand up for, for what seems like righteous causes only to find out that they're, that they're profiting from, from someone else's pain? We see that in our government all the time. This leader is going to be different. He's going to stand up for the poor, even when they can give him nothing in return. Not only that, but this leader is going to ex execute justice. We see there at the end in verse 4 and 5 where he says, where he says that he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. What this means is that this leader is going to execute what is right. There will be no more slaps on the wrists. There will be no more um, long, drawn-out trials and appeals and everything else. This leader is going to rule and reign with righteousness and justice. And those who are wicked will be punished. Many of you may be here this morning hurt by people and feeling that you never got the justice that you deserved. Friends, when, when this ruler is on the throne, that will never happen again. He will make all things right. But not only will this, will this leader come from the right background and have the right character, God opens up kind of the, the book even a little bit more. He says, these are some of the things that this leader is going to do. And the first thing that we say is that this is going to be a leader who restores creation, verses 6 through 10. <clears throat> Scripture says, the wolf shall, shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand into the, adder, in, into the adder's den. They shall not destroy, hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for, the, for all the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Church, these are some of the most fascinating verses um, to, for me in all of the book of Isaiah. It talks about lions laying down with lambs. What's, what's abnormal about that? Anything? Jack Hanna, you in the building today? No, like, yeah, lions normally eat the lambs. Um, I'm not sure what your parenting style is like, but most of you will not have your child, your baby, near a cobra. If you do, we'll probably have other issues. We can have a family counseling session later. But there, this whole passage speaks of restoration and creation being renewed. And these predators that would normally, that would normally prey on weaker animals or weaker beings and things that are dangerous like snakes and cobras, would, would be something that would attack young children. None of that exists anymore. This leader would somehow renew creation. 
and have all the talk about saving the planet and all the talk of the agenda of we have to save the planet now and all the policies that go along with that, this one actually doesn't. This leader is literally going to make things new again. And I love what it says in verse, in verse 9. Not only will creation be renewed, but people will be reacquainted with God. Verse 9, it says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let me just read that again. Let, let that just sink in. It says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. Church, we long for the day. We support missionaries so that others can know who Jesus is. We are growing up the generations that have come after me with more and more people who have never heard the name of Jesus before. Who have never heard of God's love for them. Remember this, this summer speaking at, a, speaking at a summer camp for kids that were ages 7, 8, and 9. And me speaking of God's love and how much he loved them and these kids were bewildered because they'd never heard who this God even is. Never heard the name of Jesus before. When this leader rules and reigns, everyone will know who God is. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, it says, No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least to the greatest. There will be no more need for missionaries. There will be no more need of people instructing on this is what God's word says. Everyone's going to know. Man, I just look forward to that day. The last thing this leader is going to do in verse 11. Verse 11 says, In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shiner, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. The last thing that this leader is going to do is that he is going to regather God's children. Church, not soon after Isaiah 11 was, was, was written, did the Babylonians come in and deport the people of Judah to bring them back to Babylon. The nation of, of, of Israel had already, had already been deported in 722 B.C. And God, because of, because of the way that God's people had, had turned their back on God, God brought discipline upon them and moved them out of the land of Egypt. And yet even now we're seeing, we're seeing some of the people of Israel come back to the promised land, but when, whenever this leader comes into, in, comes into play, he is going to bring back the remnant of God's people, the remnant of the Jewish people to bring them back to the promised land. 
and continued to extend the covenant that he gave to, to Abraham and Moses and David, that this would be a land for God's people. And it is a beautiful picture today of what God can do even to those people that are wayward. If God has the ability to bring back his people from every corner of the world, God has has the ability to bring back that wayward person in your life. We serve a faithful and powerful and awesome God. Church, I could walk through the rest of the chapter with you today, but I want to stop here, and I want to kind of just bring everything back and just focus on a few quick applications here for you. And you know how I said at the beginning of of walking through the text, listen, you all want to jump to someone. Well, now's that time to take that leap. Because while Isaiah 11, 11 points to a leader that we've all been looking for, I believe that Isaiah 11 points us to Jesus in every single aspect. See, everything about this passage points us to Jesus. See, Jesus comes from the royal line of David, Matthew chapter 1, Romans chapter 1. He was led and guided by the Spirit throughout his ministry. When when, when Jesus was baptized, the the Spirit of God rested upon him. And he heard God from heaven say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus, while he lived upon the earth and during his ministry, all he did was deal with poor people. He ministered to the poor. He, he helped those who were helpless. He spoke up to, 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 for those who had no voice. Jesus has stood up in righteousness and justice for those people who could not help themselves. Jesus was obedient to God's call to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he is now seated at the right hand of God to the glory of God the Father. And church, while so many prophecies were were fulfilled by Jesus during his first advent, his earthly ministry, so many other prophecies still have yet to be fulfilled, and we are waiting on that day. Scripture speaks of a time where Jesus is going to return back to earth and rule and reign, if I read Scripture correctly, for a thousand years upon this earth. During his, during his time there, he is going to make things new. Satan is going to be subdued for a thousand years. We're going to see some of the evidences of the curse of sin be put away. That's why lions can lay down with lambs and children can, 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 can play with snakes without the harm of them being hurt. Scripture speaks of a time where where, where a new heaven and a new earth are going to be created and Jesus is going to rule and reign over for all of eternity, where all sin, death, and tears will be no more. Everything about this passage points us back to Jesus. But here's the hard part with that. And here's the hard part with a lot of prophecy. What do I do with it now? You ever felt that struggle? You ever felt that struggle of, okay, I'm, re- I'm reading a prophecy. This obviously hasn't happened yet. What do I do in the meantime? I'm going to give you two 
really practical steps on how you can, you can apply this prophecy to your life today. The first one simply is this, that we should long for the coming of Jesus. When our lives are full of disappointments, we need to understand that the fullness of the kingdom of God is only an inch away. That all that stands between the present moment, whatever you're going through right now, all that stands between the present moment and the coming of, uh, of Jesus is one command by God. Jesus isn't up in heaven right now waiting for a favorable situation in society. He isn't waiting for us to fix the planet. Sorry, Greta. It's not going to happen. All God has to do is give the order, and Jesus will return to gather his people and set up his kingdom here on this earth. God's kingdom is an inch away. So Isaiah directs us that our hope should be in the coming of Jesus. Yet many of our hopes are based upon an upcoming election. See, God never promised that we would be happy with our political leaders. He actually said opposite. They're sinners. They're going to let you down. They're going to disappoint. This is an opportunity for us to draw nearer to God through, through that understanding. God wants us, God directs us to place our hope in the one who will be enthroned forever, not the one who's going to sit in the White House for a few years or sit in Congress. And the test of how you really feel and the test of how much you really hope in the coming of Jesus simply is this What did you do on Wednesday? What did you do? As the election cycles came in, as the results came pouring in, whether your team won or lost or somewhere in the middle, what was your response? Did you frantically post something on social? Did you go into hiding and just become numb? Or did you say that no matter what happens today, my hope is not in who's in Congress or in the White House. My hope is in the one coming one day who will sit on the throne forever. So we long for the coming of Jesus. And listen, don't get me wrong. We should vote. We should participate. We should run for office if that's what God calls us to, but our politics should never give us more hope than the person of Jesus. Each day we should long for the coming of Jesus. Each day we should be praying, Lord, may this be the day you come back. May our hope be based upon the fact that I can hold on for one more day because I know one day this is all going to be made new. And whether it's in my lifetime or my kids or my grandkids or however long it takes for Jesus to return, one day it's going to get better. And it's not because of what I do. It's not because of who I vote for. It's because Jesus is going to come back. Long for that day. Hope for that day. Pray for that day. Can't tell you how many times on a Friday or Saturday I'm trying to work on a sermon. It's not coming together. Be like, Lord, this, this could be the weekend that you just come back. This ain't working. 
You may have those moments in your life. It's okay to pray that way because you're putting your, our hope in what is to come and not just what is today. So long for the coming of Jesus. And secondly, Isaiah 11 points us to the picture that we need to live for the kingdom of Jesus. See, the way that I understand scripture, and it may be wrong, but the way that I understand scripture, these changes that we find in Isaiah 11 will not fully occur until Jesus returns to rule and reign on this earth. The church is not going to make the world a better place to the point where Jesus can come back now. Jesus is going to have to come back first. Jesus is going to be the one that does the work. But this doesn't mean that we just sit on our hands and wait for Jesus to come, right? So often with prophecies, like, well, yeah, that's going to happen someday, and that's really great. I can hope in that, but I don't have anything to do now. See, that's not... I don't think that's a correct understanding of the New Testament. I don't think that's the correct understanding even of, of the, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this means that we have a hand in bringing God's kingdom down to earth locally while Jesus is going to come and bring God's kingdom down to earth globally. That you and I have a hand in bringing the kingdom of God into the lives of people today. That we bring hope, that we bring peace, that we can, that we can stand up for injustice, that, that we can share the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That there is a hand of something that we can live for the kingdom of Jesus right now. Men, especially, I feel like a lot of times we, we get saved and we go to church and we have a family, but we have this lack of mission. That what, what am I actually here to do? This is it. We live for the kingdom of God. We, we get married. We, we raise families. We're pointing our children to Jesus. We go to a job where, where we're surrounded by coworkers, many of them who do not know the Lord, and we help point them to Jesus. We bring the good news of the gospel and righteousness and justice to every, to every sphere of influence that God has placed upon us. We are called to live for the kingdom. And we, we do this in two ways. One is that we become pe the people, we have the same characteristics that, that are describing Jesus in verses 3 through 5. That we're righteous, we love justice, and that we stand up for the weak, and that we... we we make decisions with discernment. We're controlled by the Spirit of God. I, Ephesians 5.18, do not be controlled um, by, don't be drunk with wine, but be controlled by the Spirit. So we be the people that God calls us to be. And secondly, we proclaim the good news of the gospel for all who will, for all who will hear. Verses 9 and 10, again, of Isaiah chapter 11 says, In that day, all will know the goodness of God. Well, that day hasn't come yet, folks. And there's people out there who need the gospel, who need to hear it, who need to see it, who need to see what transformation looks like. 
That's how we live for the kingdom of Jesus right now. Church, I want to encourage you as I close up here. One of the last verses in all of Scripture is Jesus talking. He says, He who testified to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And we say in response, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So as I invite the praise team and the prayer team forward, let me just encourage you with that. Jesus is coming soon. He will be coming back. Let us long for his coming each and every day, and let us live for his kingdom with all that we have left. Let's stand. Let me pray for you. We're going to close with one more song. Jesus, God, I thank you for the hope that we find in Isaiah chapter 11. God, in the midst of all the disappointments of life, God, in the midst of hardships, in the midst, God, of just failed expectations, Father, you're calling us to rem- and reminding us that this isn't the end. That one day, your son Jesus will come back to rule and to reign. He will have the right credentials. He will rule with righteous character. He's going to restore creation. He's going to regather his people. God, I just pray that our hope would be found in that. Not in our politics, not in ourselves, but simply in the return and coming of of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Forgive us, God, of holding on to the things of this earth too tightly while not clinging to you, God instead. God, I pray, Lord, that you just work in our hearts. May us live for the kingdom now, beginning in my heart, Father. And I pray all these things in the name of the risen and coming again, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.